everybody, and welcome back to episode 55 of Pigskins and Nylon, presented by Tabby.com, the best all-day at the market. I'm Wally Lubushensky, and I'm joined as always today by my good friends Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. Before we get going into the show today, let's talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. Between the tight game, great halftime show, and the controversial finish, we really kind of got it all on Sunday. I want to get your guys', I guess, first initial reactions to the game What's going to be the thing that you remember most? And I guess anything else that really stuck out to you? I thought the game was fantastic. Obviously, the score was close. I predicted that whatever team won was going to win by a field goal, and that happened. So, um, you know, from that perspective, that felt good. The halftime show was amazing. I thought it was really, really cool, especially to get all those big names on there. The game, I the only thing that really bothered me about the game, and I'm sure – you know, for Bengals fans or more specifically Bengals fans, they feel the same. It seemed like the referees let him play the first three and a half quarters. And then all of a sudden they got tight and started throwing flags that, you know, could have been flags earlier in the game, but they just let him go. So that was probably my biggest pet peeve, I guess. But other than that, I thought the game was fantastic. I feel bad for Odell because it looked like he was going to have a heck of a game, possibly win the MVP and, um, you know, towards ACL. So hopefully he gets back in, into some good form. But, yeah, that's really the only thoughts that I have on the Super Bowl. Aiden, I want to hear it from you now, too. You know you were watching with some Bengal fans as well. What resonated from you from the game? Was it about the game, or was it refereeing after you look back at it? Well, that's kind of hard to answer because I, I don't like blaming referees at all. But I do agree, kind of. I mean, with Casey, he he pretty much hit that on the head. But watching it with my dad, I think it was clear the Rams' defensive line, or I guess front seven, really took over the game. Like the way that I, we thought they would the whole, the whole time in the second half, and you know they made some adjustments and got Aaron Donald one on one against the Bengals. Offensive line that obviously was a complete mismatch. So, you know, I don't think my dad expected the Bengals to win. We we really got our hopes up there going into the fourth quarter and late in the second half. The the Bengals did give up that last drive, but their defense played pretty well throughout most of that game. They weren't going to shut out the Rams in the second half. They couldn't keep the Rams out of the end zone for that entire half and expect to win that game. Unfortunately, the offensive line woes were just too much for them to overcome. The the worst thing that happened to the Bengals was that little scuffle on the sideline after Aaron Donald pushed out Joe Burrow. I don't remember who the linemen were, but like two linemen came over and got in Aaron Donald's face. And then from there, I think he had like two and a half or like both of his sacks after that. So really poked at the, the bear, the bear being the best defensive player that we've seen in a really long time. I also want to just kind of echo Casey's thoughts about the halftime show. That was amazing. And I will go as far as saying that was the best one in my lifetime, I think. And that includes the, uh, what, the 2007 one with Prince. That one was really good. I was kind of too young at that point to really get a good feel for Prince. But I know that one was really widely acclaimed and, like, everybody thought that was great. But I thought this one, especially for, you know, us guys in the in twenties and our thirties, that was phenomenal seeing all those all those guys and all the big names. They that you know, they got some older guys plus some of the new era with Kendrick Lamar. That was that was really nice to see. 
it was probably the best halftime show, at least for people like us and our generation, because it feels like we're finally getting to that point that our parents had where now all of a sudden we're the old people where they're catering to us at the halftime show instead of the younger generation or the really older generation. So that part was really cool, but it's a little weird now to realize where we're at as people. But just to go on the game for a second too, that I didn't think the refereeing, I thought they did a really good job, honestly, for the most of the game. And that's what I felt bad for Logan Wilson because he played such a great game that it was a takey tack call. But outside of the T Higgins long touchdown, I mean, the better team won. The Bengals only had 230 yards of offense in that game. And it didn't even feel like they were getting that in, I guess, sustained drives. It was 10 yards here, 10 yards there. It just felt like the Bengals might have got there a little bit earlier than they should have. Offense line not being good enough. 19 sacks. It's five more than any other quarterback in the history of a single postseason. So it's clear what the idea and message is going to be for the Bengals in the offseason. Got to fix up that O-line and get a little extra secondary help. You know what's you know really funny about the way that football is evolving? I know it's been this way for the last couple of years, but you could see it on full display in the Super Bowl. The Rams could not run the ball for anything. It just proves that if you have, I don't know whether I want to say Matthew Stafford is elite, but if you have a, a really good quarterback and you have good receivers and the passing game is taking over. And I think we're going to see that trend continue because I don't know what the Rams final stat line was for rushing the ball, but it had to have been terrible. And for them to win a super bowl like that is pretty remarkable. Akers had like 20 to 25 yards and eight of them came on his final carry of the game. So the, I mean, so be it the Bengals defense did well. I think they gave up 313 total yards in the game. They did more than enough to win. I mean, there were four or five consecutive drives for both teams in the second half that they punted the ball. Both teams had a chance to go out and win the game, and the Rams did it, and the Bengals didn't. Also, I want one more comment, because Case, you're an offensive coach. If you ever hand the ball to your backup running back on third and one on the final drive when you have a beast like Joe Mixon... I think I'm going to like personally come on the field and just like shake my fist in your face or something. Cause this is, I was so amazed that can you explain that to me? I mean, 15 carries for Joe Mixon in that game. He gets stuffed for no gain once. Samaj P Ryan, two rushes, no gain on either carry. Yeah. You know, obviously I can't really defend Zach Taylor for not giving the ball to Joe Mixon, but you know, Samaje Pirine is a big boy. That That is a big back. So I guess what he was probably thinking, and not that Joe Mixon is small either by any means, but, I, you know, Pirine's a little bit bigger than he is. So I guess your, your thought is, you know, you want your bigger back in there to plow forward and, and get the yard. But I, I don't agree with the, with the call because I think Mixon is a load too. So... I think you'd rather have your better back in there. It's overthinking it, right? That's all it is, is that you're you're trying to be too cute, too perfect. Just give the ball to Joe Mixon. Yep, I agree. All right, well, before we get into recruiting day news with you, we're going to go over actually Hayden. This is going to be your final episode for a little while. You have a little girl coming on the way. 
we probably won't be looking forward to probably talking to you until March Madness comes. Do you have any thoughts, I guess, about that before we get rolling into the rest of our show today? Yeah, it's amazing how how quick it's come. And this week right now is actually flying by for me. Uh, so it literally could be here any moment. We're actually getting a really bad ice storm tonight. So I'm hoping it's not tonight because driving to the hospital, I'll already be a nervous wreck. But then driving to the hospital on top of like a, uh, ice the whole time is would be uh, pretty scary. But yeah, I probably won't be on for, or I, I mean, to be honest, I don't really know. I would guess maybe two, two or three episodes, but uh, I'm sure you guys will hold on the four. I'll for sure try to get back so we can at least discuss maybe some Big Ten tournament or NCAA tournament for sure. So that's my plan as of now. So I will be absent for a few weeks. That's awesome, Hayden. We're looking forward to hearing from you. We'll let everybody know that everything went well as soon as we know. But Casey, we're going to go over to you now. Big news today in the recruiting corner, at least for Buckeye fans. Why don't you let us know what's going on this week? Yep. Only one commit in the past week in 2023 or 2024 classes. And uh, in football as well as um, basketball, there were no commits. But you're right, Wally. The, the commit that we had was a big one. Top 50 player. Luke Montgomery out of Findlay, Ohio, uh, committed to Ohio State today. A couple hours. Represent. You know, big time get. He's a four-star, high four-star guy. Uh, number one player in Ohio. Offensive tackle. That, that's about it. I, I tried to talk about him as much as I possibly could because he's the only commit that we had. But that that's it for Casey's recruiting corner this week. I love it, though. That's actually better. We can keep it short and sweet there. It's going to be a pretty quick show. But, yeah, that's awesome news, Hayden. We'll go over to you first and just talk about it for a minute because I know this is it's a big deal for Ohio State because offensive line has kind of been where they've really kind of fallen short, at least in this aspect of recruiting. So how big is this defending, I guess, the border of the state of Ohio? This has got to be a huge get. Ohio State is always going to want to take the number one player in the state, I would imagine, unless Ohio football really, really falls off, then maybe not, but... Yeah, defending the border. One of the great things about Montgomery from everything that we've read and and things like that is he has great versatility. And there's been some things like people questioning if he can play tackle. Well, Ohio State is like all in on him playing tackle, which is a big spot that they need. But the good thing about him is he is very athletic. So if tackle doesn't work out because he's only 6'4", um, if tackle doesn't work out, he can he can slide in and play guard and center. Uh, so he he is very versatile on the line, and obviously a, a weak spot from you know last year's recruiting class where they missed out on some key guys, key highly rated guys in last year's class. We didn't bring up, and I know it's it's way in the horizon, it's far away, but his brother, maybe some people who don't know, is going to be a very highly rated quarterback. I don't. I mean, he's a 2025 kid, so he has a long time to go. I don't know if he'll be a five-star or if he'll be a high four-star like like his brother, but you got to imagine that with getting older bro, that Ohio State has to be in the driver's seat to to get his brother if he were to be the next big-time quarterback prospect. You would think, though, but um, with the transfer portal and stuff nowadays, you know, it, shoot. Montgomery doesn't see the field in a couple years. He might be in that thing and take his brother wherever he's going with him. But that's worst case scenario. Anyway, touching on Montgomery a little bit, a couple things that 
about this prospect. Um, one, he's got to put on weight no matter where he plays on the offensive line. They have him listed on 247 as 270, which is really, really small, really in any college power, or power five school, but specifically in the Big Ten. So he's got at least 30 pounds to put on. And then two, it was really important for Ohio State to grab him because of the schools that he had in his final list. Had it been like Ohio State, Alabama, USC, yada, 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 it really wouldn't have been as big of a win, in my opinion. But they beat out schools like Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State, schools that are within the Midwest that um, you know have a history of coming into Ohio and grabbing some pretty good guys. So I think it was a really good get for Ohio State today. Hayden, we're going to go over now. We're going to switch it over into basketball. Can you let us know what happened since last Thursday, February 10th? Absolutely, Wally. Let's get into it. Michigan beat the absolute hell out of Purdue. What an amazing game for them. <laughs> Unfortunately, the rest of the week did not go as maybe everybody thought. Jordan Bohannon and Keegan Murray put on a clinic. Iowa scored a billion and beat and beat Maryland. On Saturday, Ohio State actually went into Ann Arbor, got a got a win, 68-57. Rutgers went on the road. We talked about how Rutgers is so good at home, but but they went on the road to beat a Wisconsin team that has been pretty good this year. So that's a huge win for them. I would say they have to be firmly off the bubble at this point, right? Like, they have to be in the tournament, crazy. I would say. Well, here's the crazy thing. Before they beat Illinois, Joe Lenardi had them as the next four out. Not even the first four out. So this is, it just goes to show how important November is for some of these non-established teams. You can't be losing to Lafayette and DePaul in a month. Yeah, I would have to say, I mean, unless the wheels just completely fall off this backstretch here for Rutgers, I would say they're in the tournament no matter what, unless something crazy happens. And Michigan State got a nice win over over Indiana, who is actually kind of in a slump right now with uh, their third straight loss. Minnesota beat Penn State on Saturday night. Moving on to Sunday, Purdue actually struggled very much in a bounce back game where I thought I personally thought that they would come out and play very well after losing a game like that, and they just did not. Uh, they beat Maryland by one, and Maryland actually had a chance to win this game and just couldn't get it done. Also, Sunday Illinois hung on and beat Northwestern seventy three to sixty six. And Iowa, again, just shooting the lights out, beat Nebraska. Keegan Murray scored 37 in that one. Tuesday night, Ohio State really started slow and was down two at halftime, but then just, just pummeled Purdue in the, or pummeled Minnesota in the second half to win that game convincingly. Penn State beat Michigan State in a surprising game, and Wisconsin goes into Bloomington uh, behind Johnny Davis' 30 points to beat the, the Hoosiers. On Wednesday night, Rutgers wins again at home this time against Illinois 70-59, to their fourth straight win versus ranked opponents, which is impressive and just reinforces our talking point about them being in the tournament, at least they should be. And Wally doesn't get it done. He, he called Northwestern winning a game last week. I'm gonna, I remember that, Wally, and they did not. Purdue beat them. It was competitive, but they, they just couldn't get over the hump there against Purdue. Yeah, they were killing me within like 5-10 to 10 in both games throughout. Just couldn't get it done. Losing their chance really to get to the tournament. But Casey, let's go to you first. There was a lot that happened last week. Was there any team that stood out to you or performance that stood out to you? Michigan's performance against Purdue shocked the heck out of me. But as that game was finishing up, 
and I, I know Hayden was trying to play the same game, and I was in our group chat, but I just knew Michigan was going to come out against Ohio State and shoot terribly, and that's exactly what they did. They laid an egg at home against Ohio State. But another thing that stood out to me from this Michigan team, and then I'll, I'll get off that before I start ranting too much, is they don't get to the foul line at all. Like, even against Purdue, they got outshot at the foul line by, I think, 10. And then at home against Ohio State, they got outshot at the free throw line by, like, 12. So this is a team that doesn't really attack the basket, doesn't shoot the three-point shot very well consistently, and that's why they're sitting at 13-10. and 10. You know, Iowa, Iowa's putting up some points, man. I might need to adopt them as my basketball team this year, too. That I mean, my goodness, I... I honest, honestly, I haven't, God. Watched, I haven't watched the last two games, but they, they, I mean, my goodness, they're putting up 110, 98. Like, that's a lot of points, and that's makes it very, very scary for Michigan tonight. How do you think Lauren's going to feel about moving to Des Moines? I, uh, I, I would have no idea. I don't think she would be on board for that. That's all right. She can always go to Iowa City. You'll be all right. But that's okay. So Iowa, I do. I'm glad you brought them up because they were one of the teams I wanted to bring up too because they have a league high 84 points per game, but it's been the Achilles heel now for years. We've Even before, I guess, we did this show last year, we knew that they can score with anybody, but if in a night that they're off, they gave up a million points a game too. It's a second worst in the league, only ahead of Nebraska and they can't stop a nosebleed. So Iowa, you know, if they shoot well, they could be a team that gets to the second weekend. But there's a really good chance that they're cold, and we just see them bounce in the first night, whether it be a 7-10 or a 6-11 matchup. This is the same Iowa team that lost last month to Rutgers, 48-46, to if we remember that game at all. So, yeah, talking about inconsistency, um, you know, a little bit there. I I could not help but not bring that game up. So, yeah, and Fran McCaffrey's a douchebag. So, and speaking of really gross games, one of the other teams I wanted to bring up, and I feel like you have to talk about them, is Rutgers because these last two weeks they've stolen the show in the league. But this just shows. I, I said it before how important it is for non-established teams to start fast because it's so easy for us when you're talking about. Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, Purdue's every year, teams that are going to get in because they always win in non-conference. You forget about teams like Rutgers. They started the year 4-4 four and four with losses to Lafayette, DePaul, Massachusetts, and by 35 to Illinois just to have a 12-5 and five stretch since with wins over Purdue, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Illinois, and we still don't know if they're in. Just again, just goes to show that regardless of the stereotypes that November basketball doesn't matter, there is not a game that you can look past when you're a team like Rutgers. Yeah, those are some bad losses, man. Like, it, had they had they won two of those games of their of their bad losses, I'm talking like DePaul, Lafayette, UMass, and then they got blown out by Penn State by 17 points. So, had they won two of those, I think they would be sitting firmly in, in the tournament right now. I mean, you'd be talking about them as a six or a seven seed instead of them possibly being a play-in game. That's Also, that's how much it sucks. Imagine being the team that might draw uh, an 11 seed Rutgers. That would be so criminal for that six seed. 
you want to start talking crazy. Rutgers can win the conference. <laughs> Actually, if they beat Purdue, they play Purdue. I think it's this Saturday or maybe Sunday, but it's Sunday. it's on the road. But if they beat Purdue, they literally might win the conference because their last games here at Michigan. I mean that winnable home against Wisconsin at Indiana and Penn State. Those are their final games. So, I mean, they would have to win out probably, but that's not impossible with the way that they've been playing. I was watching, I forget what show it was, but they have like all the odds for the national championship on there. And believe it or not, Michigan and Ohio State have the same odds to win the national championship at 80 to 1. According to whatever sports book it, it was on, it was some show on ESPN, I couldn't remember. But I still, I cannot believe, and this was Monday, I believe, so after Ohio State beat Michigan, I still cannot believe that people are so high on this Michigan team. I don't, don't know the odds that you'd have to tell us, but I, I honestly think it's less of a how high they are in Michigan, and it's that Ohio State's going to struggle to win six straight games because they're going to have to avoid size. And if Michigan gets in, they have that 2014 Kentucky kind of feel where they have a couple big-name stars that, if they get hot, who knows? Maybe Michigan could go on a run. That's why I think it's more of an indication that neither team is very likely to go that far in the tournament opposed to they're very high on one or the other. I, I think they were tied for like the 12 best odds, though. Well, again, Michigan has that Hayden and I shine to them that we keep believing that they're going to get better. Other people think that, too, and... It just now happened, what, two weeks ago that Hayden and I finally started seeing the light of what you've been saying about this Michigan team. I was going to say, they're not even going to make the freaking tournament. I, I just, it, I don't know. Whatever. You know this, what I mean, though. This schedule, tonight is, a, if Michigan's going to make the tournament, tonight is a must win. Agree? They have, they have to continue to go 2-1 and one in their many three-game stretches throughout the whole season. They've barely been doing it, but, I mean, shoot. Uh, so, I guess their hopes aren't dead, but I think this this back end of the schedule is no easy task by any means. Oh, oh, God, no. At Iowa, at Wisconsin, versus Rutgers, versus Illinois, versus Michigan State, versus Iowa, at Ohio State. That, if you, I mean, if maybe they were playing some other teams, I'd say, yeah, I, 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 I see a scenario where they could make it, but... With that schedule, I mean, out of those seven games, I don't know what game I would pick them to win. You know what I mean? That's yeah, that's tough. And out of those seven games, they got to go five and two. If they're gonna make the the tournament, they have to go five and two. So pick pick which two games they're only gonna lose to. Yeah, it's it's tough running through that schedule. Do they make the tournament as of right now? Do or like obviously not if the season ends today. But, like, do you guys believe they will be in the tournament in a month from now? No. No. The As it sits right now, they have one quad one win, which is not good enough. I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid for one more week. I do believe that they're going to get it done. I think they're going to win tonight, and I think that they're going to go in a little bit of a stretch here with their back against the wall. Yeah, Wally, I, I don't agree with you, but there is some data that might back you up. The NCAA goes by those net standings or those net rankings. Now Michigan is ranked 37th in the net rankings, which is like in the top, almost half of the field. 
So you're like you're not. I don't think that far off to say you think they can make it, especially if they can win. I don't know about five and two. I think if they win four games, there's a po- uh, there's a, a a possibility that they get in. Well, who knows? Too, they can win a couple games in the Big Ten tournament and really force the hands of the committee if they beat. Who knows whether it it be in Ohio State or even teams like Wisconsin, who I do want to talk about here in a minute. I think I just I don't know. I think that Michigan still is going to get in. I think we're going to see at least eight teams from the Big Ten. But like I said, I want to talk about Wisconsin and what we saw the other night against Indiana. I think it was worth pointing out because Johnny Davis he scored the final thirteen points in that game. Bloomington's proved to be really a tough place to play all season long. Wisconsin doesn't feel like they have necessarily the depth that other teams do. But if Johnny Davis is playing well, you'd imagine Wisconsin has a shot at a run. Do you believe that they are going to be able to ride Johnny Davis maybe to a second weekend? Or is this kind of like a Michigan State team where the more you look at them, they just seem kind of primed to get knocked off? Yes, I I think they are primed to get knocked off early. That's what you're asking in the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, I, I, I think they are they could be primed to lose early in the tournament because they rely so much on one guy to carry the load. And I know you could say that about a couple teams, but if you run into that one really good scrappy defensive team or a guy that can match up with, with a guy like Davis, I, I you have a very good shot of beating Wisconsin. Now it's, it's obviously all going to depend on matchups. I mean, that's the, that's what the whole NCAA tournament is, is if you get the right matchups and, and, and how things lay out for you for the whole tournament. So I would tend to say yes to that question. I I think I actually disagree because I think we're forgetting about Brad Davison and how annoying he is to play against and how, to be honest with you, clutch he is in in the crunch time. This dude's averaging 14.7 points per game, which uh, is number 16 in the conference. So it's not like they don't have a – a solid number two guy to go along with Johnny Davis. So maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something. I you know I've watched only a few games of Wisconsin. I'm not going to lie this year, unless I'm missing something statistically that they have th- three guys averaging over ten points a game, and Brad Davison is somebody that's close to fifteen points a game to go along with the twenty from Johnny Davis. So yeah, I I, I guess I wouldn't say that they are too heavy on on Johnny Davis. I, I just think that we know what Brad Davidson Brad Davidson is and he's that he's a three point shooter and if you can you know get into him early and not let him get going he's one of those guys yes he could he could have a game where he scores 24 and hits six threes but I just don't think that's like the most likely outcome when you have a whole season to look at what he's done for an NCAA tournament team that they're playing against. I will say that Brad Davison in that game against Indiana the other day at Bloomington, in the final five minutes, you could feel how much under the skin he got of the Indiana players. And that's one of those intangible things that I don't feel like you talk about a lot, but he's kind of got that, what was it a few years ago with Duke, the Allen kid, he's kind of got that same feeling where people just hate to play against him. Like they they were taking just frustration fouls, offensive fouls, because they wanted to elbow Davison in the face or try to knock him down because he was just so pesky on defense. Who knows? That, that's a fair point, Casey. 
again, though, I guess matchups does decide it all. Aiden, how about you let us know what we have going on this next week and figure out if there's a couple key storylines that we can keep an eye on. Absolutely. Uh, tonight, actually, no, right now, Minnesota is playing at Penn State. It was a, it was actually a 4 o'clock tip-off in State College, and Penn State is up by around 20 points right now, so they're in control of that one. And then Casey mentioned it earlier, Michigan is at Iowa tonight in what is probably a must-win game for Michigan. Tomorrow, Friday night, Maryland goes to Nebraska. Uh, Saturday, Iowa is back at Ohio State. Illinois is at Michigan State, and Northwestern is at Minnesota. Sunday, Michigan goes to Madison to play the Badgers, and Rutgers is at Purdue in a game that, it's so crazy to say, could put Rutgers almost in the driver's seat to win the conference. I know they're still, they have five losses and a couple teams have four, but the way the conference season has gone this year, you got to anticipate some more losses coming for those teams. Uh, Monday, Indiana goes to Ohio State, and Penn State is at Maryland. Tuesday, Michigan State is at Iowa, and Nebraska is at Northwestern. And then Wednesday, Rutgers goes to Michigan, and Wisconsin is at Minnesota. Casey, let's start with your Michigan Wolverines. It's the same story week in and week out right now. Two and one. That's kind of the goal because of how difficult conference play is. Michigan has at Iowa, at Wisconsin, and home against Rutgers. Do they get two wins this week? Well, I don't believe so. You know, the last two, three game sets that we've had this discussion with Michigan, they've had, I think, at least two of the three games at home. Well, now they have two of the three games on the road against some quality teams. So I don't think they get it done, and it really puts a damper on their tournament hopes. But I also wanted to talk about Iowa, and I, you know, I know I'm kind of on Iowa right now, this is a massive three-game stretch for them. They could really, really boost their tournament resume if they win tonight and then at Ohio State and then Michigan State. That would be an amazing three-game win streak that they have going on there. And a 20-7 and seven Iowa team, you got to think that's that's pushing maybe a six or a five seed. So could be a really big week for them as well. Aiden, same question for you. Does Michigan get two wins in the next three and then we, I do want to ask you a follow-up question about the Buckeyes, actually, in that Iowa matchup. I will say that Michigan will not get two out of three just because two of those games are on the road. I, I think that makes it so much more difficult than if they had Iowa or Wisconsin uh, at the Chrysler Center. I kind of am up in the air because I think that the at-Iowa game is going to decide if they win two out of three or not. Because I do think that they are going to beat Rutgers at home. Rutgers hasn't really shown that they can play well on the road so much this year. I know they did get a big win at Wisconsin this week. But with Dickinson there, I just feel like Michigan's a little bit better of a matchup. So I'm going to actually go Michigan does get it done because I think they're going to get a win at Iowa. And that's why I wanted to ask you a follow-up to Hayden. Iowa, we talked about it, how they're a team that gives up a ton of points. You saw, I know, because we were talking during the Ohio State-Minnesota game, Ohio State's kind of got a really interesting split this year where they're 13-1 and in games that they score 70 or more points. They're 3-5 and in games that they score fewer than 70. Iowa, it's an interesting matchup with Ohio State without having the bigs that Iowa struggled with this year. Who do you think wins that specific matchup? Because that really is a huge game for seeding for both of those programs. All right, so you ready? I'm ready to throw out a fun stat for you. You mentioned how Iowa, you know, has been scoring the rock and is really 
pushing those scores up up on the scoreboard here. But seven out of the last eight games, dating back to the last time they played Penn State, Ohio State has not given up more than 70. The one time that they did, it was uh, at Purdue where they gave up 81 and they lost on that three-pointer. So with that being said, I, I think Ohio State has been playing better defense in this la- latest stretch. They only gave up 45 to Minnesota, which, you know, it's Minnesota, but 57 to Michigan, 66 to Rutgers on the road in a game that they could have, would have, should have won, 67 to Maryland. So I, I think with the way Ohio State has played defense, and as long as that continues, I think Ohio State is going to get the job done in this Iowa game. Because like you said, Iowa's not stopping a nosebleed. So if they don't, if they're not scoring, you know, upwards of 75 points, it's going to be tough for them to win that game. I want to ask now, I think what everybody's kind of wondering about this conference, who do you guys have winning the regular season title? There are four teams with four losses right now. And then like like Henry, like Hayden mentioned earlier in the show, Rutgers and Michigan State are both sitting there with five losses, both very much still alive. It's kind of up in the air. I don't know who it is, so I want to hear from you guys. If I made you choose, if one team could do it, who is the one team? There's going to be a three-way tie at the top. But if you had to pick one, most likely to be there, who is your one? I'm going to go with Purdue, and that's mainly because they already have a half-game lead over Illinois, Wisconsin, and then a game and a half on Ohio State, who still only has four losses in the conference. So that means that, you know, those other teams have to play one or, in Ohio State's case, three more games. So that's three more opportunities or or one more opportunity to lose. And in a conference like that, I mean, in a conference like what we have, it's just no, no game is a guaranteed win, really, in my eyes. You know, probably Nebraska. And the way Minnesota's been playing lately has been absolutely terrible. But I'm going to go with Purdue because of that half-game lead that they have and because I, I truly think they're the, they're the best and deepest team in the conference. I agree with Casey that Purdue is probably the best team in the conference. But their schedule down the stretch is the most difficult, I think, out of the last couple. At Michigan State and at Wisconsin to end the year, those are two games I wouldn't say those are guaranteed wins for them. That is I, two tough games that they could lose either way. Illinois, on the other hand, goes to Michigan State and to Michigan, but then they have three games at home. And Wisconsin, they have Michigan at home. They go to Rutgers, which will be very difficult, but then they get Purdue at home. Playing at Minnesota is not really anything, I don't think. So I think having, oh God, this is tough. I think I'm going to go with Illinois just because of the schedule, maybe. I I think Illinois is going to do it. I agree. Illinois, to me, because of the schedule, that's the reason I'm doing it. Ohio State and Illinois, I feel like, have probably the easiest schedule of those four teams with four losses, but Ohio State has extra games, and they have to travel to Champaign. So, Illinois, I don't know. I think there's a realistic chance they've lost their last regular season game. And if that's the case, there's a real chance they still win that Big Ten outright. Because I think four might still get it done with how deep the conference is. But it could be any of those six teams. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Even Purdue's home games, I think, are challenging. Rutgers and 
I know Indiana's kind of struggled a little bit lately, but they've been a quality team for most of the year. That's a tough four-game stretch to go 4-0 in, I think. It absolutely is, but we also talked on here about how they might be the best team in the country. Uh, yeah, we, we anointed them as the conference champs a week ago, and then they lost the game. It, they look like trash, and I don't that's but they, like their thing all year though is they have these kind of two game periods every like six or seven games where they just don't look like the national championship hopeful that they do the rest of the time. I there's a real chance that they figure it out, but if they don't, I mean they can lose two more games in this regular season, and Purdue might be the scariest three seed of all time. I do want to bring up one final thing though, and I mentioned Joe Lenardi earlier in the show, but. As of Tuesday morning, because he only updates this every few days, but as of Tuesday morning, he had seven Big Ten teams in the NCAA tournament. I'll read them off for you with two teams being on the bubble. He had Purdue as a two seed. They've recently beat Northwestern. He has Illinois as a three who lost to Rutgers. He has Wisconsin as a four who beat Indiana. Michigan State is a five who lost to Penn State. You'd imagine that's going to hurt. Ohio State beat Minnesota. They were still a five. You'd imagine they'd stay there. Iowa hasn't played since he announced this. He had them as a seven. Indiana is a nine. He lost to Wisconsin. Probably still going to be right around there. And then Michigan was a part of the first four out. Have not played since. And Rutgers was the next four out. Beating Illinois, which you'd imagine would either put them in that last four in or very high in the first four out. I guess what I want to hear is, first of all, is there a team that you felt deserves to be higher or lower? And I guess ultimately, how many teams in the Big Ten are going to get in? Does Michigan and Rutgers make it eight or nine, or are we going to be stuck at seven? I think the easiest answer is Rutgers is too low with the amount of quality wins that they have. I know I know they struggled early and lost to, what, Lafayette at home, but... I don't know. That was in November. That was basketball's a long time, man. That was almost four months ago. So that's tough for them. But I, I think they will get in, and 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 Michigan will be left out. I think it'll be eight. Yep, I agree with Hayden. I think it's going to be eight, and I think it's going to be the teams that he said to. Really, the only interesting story, obviously, the interesting storyline is where all these teams are going to fall on the seed on the seeding. But let's see if Purdue can get a one seed. They have a similar record to Kentucky that just jumped them in the AP poll. They've got some teams kind of creeping up on them too. So, I, but I mean, if Purdue closes out the regular season undefeated or with one loss and wins the Big Ten championship, I think that they've got to be a one seed. Didn't Kentucky get killed by Tennessee this week as well? Yeah, they they lost. It was on the road, but they did lose. Okay, well, I mean, I'm just trying to advocate here for a little Big Ten getting to the one seed. So, hopefully that happens, especially, I mean, Purdue's probably the most safe lock as a one seed ever with those two bigs. Can you even imagine a team like, what, NC State A&T going and playing them and beating them? I don't think there's a chance in hell. But anyways, do you guys have any final thoughts for us on basketball before we get into some other news here? Nope. Right before we got on, Hayden, you actually brought it to our attention that the Sport Business Journal was announcing that there are close to a $1 billion media rights deal with the Big Ten, which would be the largest deal in any of the conferences in college. So I wanted to get your guys' opinion because you wanted to talk about this. What could we see the fallout of this being here? 
obviously, I, I think the more money that the conference is generating, the better that the conference will be as a whole. Maybe the bottom of the conference can can use that a little bit of an advantage to recruit better or produce a little bit better of a program, which would be a positive for the conference. But the Big Ten is supposed to negotiate a media rights deal later this year. And it's not set in stone, but the anticipation is is that it will be over a billion dollars for whoever signs it. There's been some belief that CBS and NBC are really leading the pack to try to get a deal with the Big Ten, which would be very interesting. You know, I don't know when the SEC's deal with CBS is is over or when that is. I think it's contract. only a couple years from now. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how those two competing factors working against each other. And who knows, maybe we could be listening to uh, Gary Danielson calling an Ohio State game on a Sunday after or a Saturday afternoon on CBS, which would be very weird. But yeah, I, I just I, I saw that and I thought it was a, a great topic for us to, to talk about. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, all right, so Casey, what do you think about it? CBS, I mean, that's crazy, first of all, imagining Gary Danielson calling Big Ten games yet again. But what did you make of this deal? You were saying that you heard something on some local uh, show down there in Columbus? Yeah, so when I was listening to the radio all the way back home, you know, Kava Manitiba and we're talking about it. And so I just briefly got a little bit of the info and kind of got their their thoughts on it and what they've been hearing. And so first off, and this is all what I heard from the radio. I don't have I didn't read the article. I didn't investigate anything. So what they said was this is a second tier deal. For the Big Ten. So what what that would mean, sorry, I'm struggling here, is that Fox still owns owns the Big Ten rights, the media rights. The games would still be on Fox, but the Big Ten would be leaving like ESPN to go to like NBC or CBS. And they were talking that they thought NBC was the leader in the clubhouse for the Big Ten rights to, to this, again, like second tier deal is how they kind of described it because it would still be Fox has, you know, all the rights to the Big Ten and whatnot, and then NBC or CBS would be the the new ESP, like the ESPN. So let me see if I get this straight. So, like, for instance, the big noon game, let's say that's Ohio State and Michigan, that's going to be on Fox. But then maybe Wisconsin-Minnesota at the same time, that second game, instead of being ESPN or ESPN2, that's on NBC. That's right? From what I understood listening to the radio, yes, but still very early in this and a lot of details, I'm sure, that need to be worked out. Well, and and also that would change, like, because, uh, you know, Fox Fox also has the deal with the Big 12, you know, and sometimes that, like Oklahoma, Texas, well, it used to be, would be the big noon game, you know, if that was played that, that week. Instead of like Ohio State playing on ABC or ESPN at eight o'clock against Penn State, that game would be then on either CBS or NBC or whoever won that deal for that. So like, I don't know. That would be kind of interesting to see the Big Ten kind of cut deals with ES- or, or cut away from ESPN kind of altogether. That'd be interesting to see how that would play out. Except I don't. I do not want Mike Tirico calling it calling Big Ten games. He sucks. No, and, and you got to think of it from like a, a regular kind of viewer perspective. Like NBC has NBC, and then they like been streaming Peacock and 
or streaming on Peacock and they don't have NBC Sports anymore. So it'd be really interesting how they would fill like get more Big Ten games on TV because ESPN has ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN Plus, all these different opportunities for these teams to get on there. So if it were, and I guess the same for CBS, but if the Big Ten does end up leaving ESPN, it'd be interesting to see if a lot of these games could still find their way on TV. You see it with the Champions League right now for soccer going over to the Peacock and Paramount+. Plus. I think that's the same thing, that they're going to eventually basically push you to the streamers so you have to deal with that and go through that kind of process, which I'm not sure how I feel about, but times are changing, so whatever I guess is better for the conference. There was one other thing that you guys mentioned, though, about that. Oh, and that was what it was. My naive brain wonders if there's any kind of advantage to the Big Ten if they sign with NBC in the idea of basically fighting for the rights of Notre Dame to eventually join the conference because of Notre Dame's affiliation with NBC. I don't know how that would maybe, I, I don't know, just feel like it might bridge a gap for a negotiations with them eventually. Actually, that was part of, it, it's not the Sports Business Journal, but it was a different article that I read, I don't know where it went, that this could be a major path for the Big Ten to consider expansion if they're getting this sort of deal. I guess, I don't, apparently on the on the second tier deal or whatever that means. So, I I, I mean, I don't know. It, it kind of makes sense if they're on NBC and Notre Dame's looking to join or something, that would be a natural fit. Well, and if, it just amazes me that Notre Dame, who I know they've played in an ACC schedule here for the last few years, but there's natural rivalries already in the Big Ten with Michigan, even Michigan State. You just saw them play that home-and-home, home, or at least first half with Wisconsin, about to play a home-and-home home with Ohio State. I, I mean, it's just such a perfect and natural fit. They already have that same kind of Midwest feel to them. Why not? I don't know. It's bang, I bang in my head against the wall kind of getting Notre Dame to join a conference, but whatever. Speaking of one of those rivals... Michigan Wolverines, Jim Harbaugh, they agreed to an extension, five-year deal through 2026. Have to imagine, especially with his comments, that he is married to the school for a little while. What is a fair expectation for this program over the next five years? Is it continue to grow, or is it kind of now keep what last season as a baseline or at least a goal point? Well, I would think that you would have to hold last year to to the the goal or the I, I don't know if I would say the standard necessarily but that that's got to be your expectation if you're Michigan over the next five years because if you look at their recruiting classes that Harbaugh was working with prior to the majority of the players that were being productive in the past three recruiting classes weren't as high as some of the recruits that he has coming in so if he's unable to achieve at least what they did last year within the next five years with what is perceived to be more talent, then I think that that would be underachieving. So if basically, and this is a follow-up for you, Casey, before we get to Hayden, if the, what happened last year occurs once every five years, is that a good thing for Michigan or is that underachieving then in your mind? Once every five years in my opinion, would be underachieving even though 
Because they, they, they finally beat Ohio State, and that was the thing that's held them back in 2016, 2018. So to finally get over that hump, you, you got to think that that winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game is going to win the Big Ten East, and the Big Ten East winner is going to win the Big Ten Championship. And, and so, like, obviously, beating Ohio State is the key to all of that. Okay, Hayden, same question for you. Expectations for the next five years, and then again, what do you think last year, once every five years, is that a good goal, little low, little high? I think that Michigan's expectations for the next five years are, dude, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, well, here's one thing to consider real quick, Hayden. So, obviously, they have J.J. McCarthy, right? And they have been the presumed favorites to land five-star Dante Moore, who's in the class of 2023. So the next four to five years, they should have a five-star quarterback starting for them, which is something that they didn't have, you know, outside of Shea Patterson. If you consider Shea Patterson, he would not have been a transfer five-star. I guarantee that. But So that's something big to consider, too, is that Michigan will finally have what is perceived to be elite quarterback talent. I, I think I'll answer the second part of your question, Wally. That doing this once every five years, I think, is like a good goal. I know Casey kind of said that I th- that would be underperforming, but you got to look at what they've done the last 20. Instead of going one out of 10, you go to one out of five. I think that's reasonable to expect. I know that's not what Michigan fans want to hear is to go, oh, we're going to go one and four against Ohio State every five years, but that's better than going one and nine, right? I. I don't know. I I find it hard to believe that Michigan is going to be the cream of the crop in the conference now. No, I, I'm not saying that they that they're necessarily going to be every year, but you know how this rivalry works too. It's like people go on streaks once it gets broken, and then it, it kind of starts evening out a little bit. I mean, the the history has done that outside of Michigan in 2011. They ended up losing eight straight still. So uh, my my thought is Michigan does not go one and four against Ohio State in the next five years. So that's why I would say that they what what's what's what what's the what's their record in the next five? You gotta pick the next five. What's their record? Three and so two, get, two and three, one and four. Which means three games in Columbus. Three games in Columbus. So I I right off the get go, I'm gonna say they win the two at home and lose the three at Columbus. Because that's got to be the goal, right? Is that now you got to defend home field? Like that's yeah, the yeah, expectation. Yeah. And, I, and I think I think that's the expectation. You start defend. You start getting this rivalry to the point where it's back and forth. You're defending your home home field. They're defending theirs, and then you know that's when you start trying to steal one in Columbus, and then elevate yourself even beyond that point. Right. Right. I think. Yes, I would agree. I uh, see. I kind and maybe I'm just an idiot. I understand that their goal should be to win every home game they play against Ohio State. But I don't know if that is realistic. Like I think if they won every other home game against Ohio State that is realistic. It might not be realistic, but, and, yeah, and, and, but that's and, the goal. That's what you need to set right, is your goal. Yeah, and, and and I'm not trying to slight Michigan. I just think that this last year was it, it wasn't Michigan was better, but they their strengths were exactly what Ohio State's weaknesses are, and 
I don't think we can expect that to be the exact case every year, which makes it hard for me to think that they're going to win every single time at home from going forward. Well, what's one thing that we talked about Michigan watching them this past year that it was different than any other hardball team, maybe outside of 2016. And that was, they, they showed confidence and they showed swag. So like, I think that they've turned a corner in their mentality and obviously it worked. They got over the hump. They beat Ohio state. And so I think that if, if they're able to continue building off of that, um, because it's not like Michigan had bad teams in the past when they lost to Ohio State. They had really talented teams. It was just they could not get over that Ohio State hump. So it it's obviously, you know, we'll wait and see. And the, the last 20 years really makes you, what am I trying to say, makes you Reluctant, wonder, hesitant. Yeah, very hesitant to, to believe anything that I'm saying, I guess. But, you know, just by the... The history of the rivalry and and how big I think the mental aspect is of getting over that hump makes me believe more that Michigan will start to win their home games against Ohio State. Psychology in sport matters, and that's so true to get over that mental hump, and that's why I feel like this next year, this next matchup is the most important Ohio State-Michigan matchup probably since 2006, just because now you have a Michigan team that has confidence in their building that we can beat Ohio State. We have done it. We have we know that they know we can do it. And Ohio State now, for the first time in a long time, they have that doubt. Because 2011 was a fluke. I think everybody can almost say that, where it was like everything went wrong with the Ohio State suspensions. They had an interim coach. It was on the road. There was so much that it didn't have that same feel. It didn't feel like Michigan really got over the hump. This year did. It had that feel that Michigan finally was able to be, I guess, ready for that big moment. And if they now can even compete, if you can make this a three or a four-point game in Columbus, I think you keep that. I I think that you have that belief that you can go back home and win in 24, or I guess it'd be 23. But if they go and get killed next year, that's when all of a sudden you start having that, oh, shit, not again feeling. And I, that's why next okay. year is it. So so you also have to answer your own question. Yeah, so the expectations, I think that— uh, No, well, I guess, yeah, both. I, I, I don't know. I, I really am more curious about your record than the expectation. Well, record over the next five years, I mean, until we see Michigan get it done in Columbus again, I'm not going to pick them there. God, it's been probably, I think it's 2000, right? Yeah, so 2000. So I'm going to say that Ohio State wins at least three, and I'd still pick Ohio State to win one of two in That's where I'm at as well. But it doesn't mean that 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 shouldn't be a good goal for Michigan. Yes, yes. No, I get it. I just, I I, I think this last, last year's game was so unique in the fact that Michigan's strengths were just overblown by what Ohio, you know what I mean? Like what Ohio State's weaknesses were. They did it. They, they were great at doing exactly what Ohio State was terrible at. And I just don't think that is necessarily something that you could replicate. No, every but other year. winning the battle of toughness. Now, I know. Trust me. Trust me. I am, matters. I am with you. I just, I, I'm just not. I'm I'm off the ledge after the get after that game in November. I'm not as down as I was then. Yeah, that sucked, but 
it, it was so uniquely not every year is going to be like that is my point and I, and I guess that's I guess that's exactly what Michigan fans have said for the last 10 right now oh, every year can it can't be like that every year but I guess it could I just don't Ohio State can't be that bad defensively again right it, to me, it's it's all about they got out toughed. So if Jim Knowles is able to reestablish that hardcore Buckeyes defense, sure, then I, I do think that that probably is undone. But it's hard to just instill toughness that fast when you got your ass kicked in your two or three, I guess, in three of your biggest games last year. You just got out bullied on the line of scrimmage. You're right. You are right. I hope you're but, right. We'll, we'll but, see. But traditionally, like last year was an anomaly for Ohio State. Agree? Uh, uh, well, I yes. think we all agree on that. That is not how it is normally against anybody. They're not out tough. Maybe, maybe against not to that level. Alabama. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I I find it hard to believe that they will be like that again next year. This is this is more of a thing about Ohio State than it is about Michigan. Is my point. Do you have anything else you want to say, Casey? It looks like you have it well, in your face. I just uh, like I, I'm just kind of wondering where where the Ohio State are. Are we focusing on the defense right now for the, this big advantage that Michigan had that you know was so rare this this past year, this past game? I just want to. You're asking Hayden, right? I yeah. I, I think you have to look that. Michigan is going to have two first-round edge rushers, which probably isn't going to happen most years. And then you look at the fact that Ohio State couldn't stop the run, and that's what Michigan was excellent at, which is those the combination of both of those things I don't think is can be replicated going forward, is my point. Like, they're going to lose the number one pick at defensive end. Possibly. Uh, number two pick, probably. But no, whatever. I, I, I don't... Like, these are issues that I've seen on an Ohio State defense the past... Three out of the past four years, though. So, like, I'm kind of confused how you think this is such a difference. No, no, that's that's not that's not true. Because because before that, it was the secondary. They were getting thrown... They were getting bombs thrown on them. And last year, it was the run. It wasn't, okay, it wasn't which, the same. Okay. Which, so, if Ohio State had the defense where they could stop the run, but but they gave up a ton passing. Michigan wasn't going to beat them this year, they, is they my point. Michigan State is what they would have been. Right, but they scored 60 on them. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, that's the difference. No, I, I understand what you're saying, but, like, you're you're saying that, like, Ohio State having a hole in the defense or a weak spot in the defense is just unheard of when three of the past four years. No, I'm saying win. being able to stop the run – is not heard of. That is not what Ohio State football does. I, I don't think Michigan's going to be as run heavy as what they were this past year either. You know what I'm saying? Okay, that's fine. So like that's fine. It's, it's that's fine. Attacking weaknesses and I understand, but you have to have the capability to do that. And Michigan was not going to beat Ohio State if they could stop the run, which obviously Ohio State, Ohio State couldn't. Credit to Michigan on that, yes. But if Ohio State could stop the run and Michigan was trying to throw it on them, they weren't going to win that game. Is what I'm saying, and and you look at the last forever of Ohio State football. The one thing that they can do is stop the run. Yes, they've had some bad defenses where they give up huge plays, but we've had like two years in the last twenty where they haven't had a good rush rushing defense. 
I, I think the odds are that they'll be back to somewhat of a at least average uh, run-stopping defense is my whole point. And I'm not trying to discredit Michigan at all because they clearly deserve to win that game. And I don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to do that. I'm just saying if you base it off of history and you look at the talent that is coming in, if Ohio State can't stop the run with a new defensive coordinator and the talent that they're bringing in, then, yeah, Michigan's going to win a bunch of games against them. But I just don't see that happening. Casey? I, I mean, I, I'm uh, it's, it's all opinion right now. I mean, because statistically speaking, Ohio State's run defense was not as bad as it's been in the past this past year. Um, I know the, obviously, Minnesota-Oregon games and the Michigan games stands out, but I don't know. I mean, just an, an opinion thing. I, I'm, I'm all good. 7.2 yards a carry. Okay, I, I just said they were statistic, – statistically, they were one of the top five teams in the Big Ten in giving up yards per game. Okay, and, I, and sometimes stats lie. That's what they and, do. And sometimes numbers can be construed. Outside of the Minnesota, Oregon, and Michigan games. So the three teams that they played that were more physical. I, I just Penn State. Penn State was too. I just don't quite understand what you're trying to say. Wait, I uh, there's I don't have a response to that. Um, I don't know. I'm good. <laughs> well, on that note, that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon, brought to you by Tabbies.com, the world's best Delta 8 edible. Casey and I will be back here next week with the regular season almost over. Then the real fun begins. Hayden, of course, good luck with everything this next week. I know you've got a lot on your mind. Just want to let you know that we love you and everybody at home loves you, Hayden. Can't wait to have that girl dad back on the show. What are your guys' final thoughts for us tonight? Yeah, my final thought, too, is Hayden. I'm happy for you, dude. Happy for you and Madison. I I hope everything goes well, and I know it will. We're going to miss you, but whenever you want to come back, we're, we're ready for you. You guys are about to make me cry. It's easy to get a little emotional nowadays, you know? Yeah, we're glad you're going, to be honest. Yeah, uh, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I'd be glad I was going to. Anyway, no, I don't have any final thoughts. Well, we'll let you know as soon as Hayden lets us know what's going on. But thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you guys back here next week for episode 56 of Pigskins and Nylon.